Hey guys, it's David Roberts, host of Out of the Woods, and I'm backstage at the Queen's Theatre trying to get an exclusive interview with the cast and crew of controversial new show, Hanson Gray. They've just got off their first show at the Adelaide Festival, and safe to say, the response has been middling. Claire, I told you I need my water at least minus five degrees cold. Why don't you get that? Tamika, I'm your director, not your assistant. Oh, whatever. You're standing around doing nothing. Go get my water. I just spent two hours on stage spinning around a double-walled, two-way mirror glass candy house, and I'm beyond tired. You're so rude. Ooh, looks like the bad reviews and perhaps a major come down from too much GB has gotten to the casting crew. Let's try and get this interview. Hey. Hey, Claire and Tamika. Are you free to answer some questions? Ugh, not this leech again. David, please leave. This is a restricted area. Well, you can suit yourselves, but you have an opportunity to answer my questions and set the haters straight after a flood of bad reviews. Oh, look, another one. Daily Mail said Hanson Gret makes us want to not find the breadcrumbs. Oh my Ouch. god. Are you saying that people think this play is bad? This this can't be happening. It can't be happening. It's okay. Calm down. Sure, we'll answer some of your questions, but keep it quick. Yes, let's get this podcast rolling. Shall I start again? Ugh, if you have to. Hey guys, it's David Roberts, host of Out of the Woods, and I am backstage with Tamika and Claire, star and director of Hanson Grit. How are you guys today? Good, thanks. Fine, can we just get started? Okay, well, Tamika, what do you think about your performance? Don't you dare talk about my performance, I'm leaving. Oh, okay. Well, looks like I'm just with Claire today, and we will discuss the show together. I have lots of opinions to share. So, Claire, given that I was hooked up to a smartphone and had a narrator speaking through my earphones, I'm just wondering, whose voice does this performance actually capture? Well, David, it's interesting. You know, in Hans and Gret, there are two voices that speak to the audience directly through the ear- their earphones, which really allows for an interesting contrast as the play is so uniquely tailored to the audience members themselves. You remember the quiz you took at the start of the play? Well, that really determines if you are a parent or not, and from there on, the voice in your ear would have fed you completely different ideas and expected a different response from you. This new innovative device allowed for the exploration of the difference between how parents are wired to you, to youth in comparison, you know. And as you know all too well, David, the contrast between parents and youth is so complex and manufactured one. Yeah. Influenced by a variety of factors such as cultural norms, generational differences and individual personalities. Well, that's actually very interesting indeed. I didn't even know that the quiz at the start would be so detrimental to your play. Well, that makes lots of sense now, so thanks, Claire. So the technology was more than just a quirky gimmick. It was actually there to enhance some of those central ideas. Quite revolutionary now that I think of it. So I loved watching the the dynamic between Greta and her parents and how it seemed like every little thing annoyed her. Do you want to kind of elaborate on the voice of the youth in the play? Here, let me give you a few key examples. So that may explain the contrast of the voices in the play. Parents and youth may have different values and beliefs that shape their worldwide guide and view their decision making this can lead to you know disagreements conflicts over issues such as politics religion and mortality Mm. which was seen in the scenes where Gret and her mother really bickered over how they saw the world and how to be perfect several different disagreements occurred even down to what should be worn you know a stylish dress or a jumpsuit with red boots Mm. it really poses the question you know do mothers really live vicariously through their daughters and is high school really this hard in the modern world there is a voice of everyone watching and audiences and especially younger audiences who really do relate to these things 
Right, because the balance between youth and parents can often be such a challenging bridge, you know, especially in the 21st century where it seems like the only thing kids are interested in is technology. But I do love how tech is such a heavy part of this play and its message. So I kind of figured one of the main messages in the piece is growing up. Oh, absolutely, David. The whole coming-of-age genre is really the centrepiece of this play. Growing up can be so challenging for so many reasons. But one of the biggest challenges, you know, young people face is the pressure Mm. to be constantly perfect. This pressure can come from so many sources, including parents, peers, teachers, social media, and even society as a whole. And Hans and Gret really references this thoroughly throughout. The play especially through the use of symbolism. So would any chance that would be about the wolves? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. The wolves really represent a sense of, you know, temptation and danger and a warning. Wolves are often seen as dark and dangerous creatures representing fear, evil and the unknown. Well, and after all, what good is a fairy tale without a wolf or a pack thrown in the mix? <laughs> well, yes, I do agree with that. That might be so, David. But the whole wolf thing isn't only just, you know, entertainment. It actually actually is such an interesting analogy which shows the things that really scare us the most aren't always the most dangerous Mm. and the most dangerous people are the people who really often pretend to be friends well we did see that Greg turned out to have a really special connection to the wolf yes she did it's so funny because everyone in the perfect town is so scared of the wolves but in reality the wolf actually turns out to be Gret's grandfather, infiltrating the evil witch's lair and trying to save the young from the witch and someone who she's actually really close to. Right, very interesting. So I'm a fan of the original Grimm's Brothers tale of Hansel mm. and Gretel. So I was really interested as to how you transformed the text into a modern day take. Do you want to let me in on what spoke to you the most throughout this adaption process? Yeah, well, what really spoke to me the most about being part of the show and directing this really special production was how amazing flipping a fairy tale can really be. Mm. I mean, like you, I've loved the tale of Hans and Gretel as well for a really long time and having the opportunity to completely dissect it and create my own tale was such a delight and... One way that I really extended the story is to explore the psychological impact of the children's experiences. You know, the original tale is so dark and Mm. shows the tale of being abandoned in the woods by your parents and then lured into a witch's (laughs) trap. You know, and you can see this would have such a profound effect on a whole child's psyche. And although our play seems to have stripped this part of the tale away, in fact, every single element is still existing in this play. And, you know, the outside world in our play is actually just a metaphor for the forest. And the breadcrumbs was really shown through the jug GB. So interesting. Do you want to let me in on how gender flipping the character of the witch worked? Yeah, of course. So the gender flip of the witch was to make the witch more believable. Although our witch might not have had, you know, the ugly nose who rides (laughs) on a broomstick, he still really craves youth and terrorising children. Mm. And, you know, during rehearsal, I came to the big realisation that he almost becomes the beacon of the story in the second act and helps the audience to explore themes of, you know, trauma, abandonment and resilience. It's really funny because the actor Gareth Davis, who plays the witch, his acting was predominantly improv and it really showed how committed he was to the role of the villain in our beautiful story. Wow. So I personally adored his performance. It was such a highlight and specifically loved how the audience became really a part of it, like Mm. a talk show episode. 
and how he was talking to us that we were at a self-help show. It was kind of like a messed up version of Ellen. (laughs) He's quite nasty though, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he attempts to completely gaslight everyone, every single character and turn them against each other. He really plays into Gret's mother's own fears and Mm. convinces her that giving up on her daughter is really the best option, which is really sadistic because he knows everyone's weaknesses and plays to them and we see that he really lures hands away because he knows he loves Fortnite. Which again is a link to the original. The witch lures away Hansel to eat the candy in the original fairy tale. Wow, you're really <laughs> learning, aren't you? Thank you. So see, we really did add every element of the original. The witch's house was made of sweets and candy and can be seen as a symbol of temptation and the dangers of the excess. This is a link about the characters falling in love with the witch. Okay, so let's switch gears, shall we? venture off into the outside world (laughs) so set design was really a massive part of this story i assume and showed several stylistic elements and really took influence from other work yes the element of the show that show's world that really spoke to me was the whole dystopian and futuristic elements our amazing concept artist rosemary myers really took inspiration from several other projects including don't worry darling and the Mm. stanford wives to really build that futuristic and dystopian like universe It's almost like a twisted fairy tale. Mm. We used a more traditional suburban aesthetic to convey a sense of, you know, conformity and uniformity and having the place set in a world where there's a, you know, a them and a theirs, us. It really allowed for the element of contrast to be used a ton. Right. I loved the revolving glass house. Can you explain how the design and Jonathan Oxlade created the centerpiece? Yeah, of course, David. So the set piece was designed as a glass house, which portrayed, portrayed a sense of formality within the community. The set did not have as much colour and struck out the futuristic scary vibe. We showed through the set that the community where the characters resigned is a community full of identical houses, you know, mm. the perfectly manufactured lawns and a limited colour palette of pastels and whites. The use of synthetic and repetitive patterns, carefully controlled lighting and the emphasis of lack of individuality and community. However, the set would spin and we'd often, you know, get startled by the constant changes of lighting and sound. This would portray a sense of horror and would flip the perfect vibe, you know, completely on its head. This was evident when we saw Sim, you know, stuck at the top of the set, being consumed by this weird, gross being. Yeah, I screamed verbally out loud. (laughs) That was absolutely terrifying. (laughs) Very Stranger Things-esque. So, as a company, I know you use those phones, but what else did you do to make sure the audience was ready and engaged? So an aspect of our approach that really helped the engagement of the audience and something I found very compelling was the interaction between the actors and the audience. Mm. Engagement is key and really helps the story's motivation and, you know, making sure the audience doesn't lose concentration. Gareth Davis would address the audience when he was playing the role of the family psychologist and, you know, really immersed himself in the audience. Davies was an absolute highlight. I remember being in the audience and him coming up the stairs. The audience around me... They looked horrified and I was shaking. We were really nervous. Um, It's almost like he was crafted as someone who had a complete overdose of GB. (laughs) I also remember how luscious his hair was. Such an amazing character. He was just electrifying. Yes, I mean, the hairography was amazing. (laughs) Also, like, I know the element was polarising, but personally, I adored it. Was the audience participation. Oh, right, right, right. I just remembered a story. There was this young girl and she was caught up to the audience participation and she was placed inside the revolving glass house. And, you know, she was used during the scenes where they were sent to the messed up layer. Mm. However, the girl got stuck 
and was unable to leave the set because her earphones were stuck to her prop piece. <laughs> she literally was stuck in the set. Um, I was wondering, was that like a part of it? Was it supposed to happen? No, 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 not at all. Oh my God. I remember, I remember being so stressed backstage and I could not stop pacing up and down because, you know, the last thing you want during a production is an injury or something to go wrong. Well, isn't that a little bit risky? Yes, but it was unpredicted and, you know, she was mm, fine. Okay. It's theatre and it's live, you know, anything can really truly happen. Well, the show must go on, right? Always, David. Well, talking about risky decisions, what did the, the witch's character do to further his character? It's a really hard one to pull off. Yes, it was a risk. I mean, you always run the risk with characters like him because you're not really sure how the audience will respond and if they become, you know, a bit uncomfortable. Right, right. However, he was really able to alter his physical and mental appearance to really pull it off, I think. And this is amazing that we prioritised as a company because... We love risks. Yeah. And the characterisation of Davy's character, the psychologist really gave a very similar vibe to, you know, Caesar Fleckerman from mm. The Hunger Games, which I personally loved. And this really related to our dystopian theme of the play. Okay, yes, I love those movies. In fact, the whole play gave off very Hunger Games vibes, which is another risk, because going against that franchise is definitely a risky choice yes do you, do you think we pulled it off well yes it was imaginative but also took risks it takes a brave company to completely flip a fairy tale and make it even more messed up than the original <laughs> now clara it's safe to say that handsome great is a very unconventional play and challenges a lot of dramatic conventions yeah why did you decide to completely dismiss the traditions of theater that people know and they love well david I wanted to create an extremely innovative play and, you know, working with technology was almost as hard as the first time I ever worked with children in live theatre <laughs> and, you know, incorporating it was extremely foreign to me. Well, working with kids is definitely interesting. Oh, yes. You know, lots and lots of sugar Ooh. I gave them to stay awake during all our rehearsals. Did you give them any GB? Oh, my God, absolutely not. <laughs> Well, um, back to it anyways. Um, breaking the traditions also really challenged the traditional role of the audience because in theatre, you know, most of the time the audience members sit through the whole duration of the play and the performance and, you know, sometimes the fourth wall is broken yeah. and I really wanted to challenge different methods of storytelling because traditionally when the audience members are pulled up on stage, they don't really have a say. In, but in Hans and Gretel, a question would appear on the devices saying whether or not you wanted to participate. And another broken convention was that audience members who participated in the formal dance as an example, were told through their earpiece how to dance. Like, one yeah. of them was, like, yeah. bounce up and down like a basketball. And um, the set design was also really innovative as well. And by having the house revolve around in a circle, it allowed for the scene changes and meant that there was only one massive set piece to be used throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And the shape also made a massive reference to the original story, as it was in the shape of a gingerbread house. This has all been so interesting and so many things have been cleared up. So thank you so much for chatting for me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Are you ready for my outro? <laughs> well, 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 folks. Wasn't that interview with Clara simply delicious? It looks like Hansel and Gretel aren't the only ones leaving breadcrumbs of creativity all over the place. From her intriguing interpretation of the witch to her bold staging choices, Clara definitely knows how to keep an audience on the edge of their seats. So if you're looking for a theatrical treat that's both sweet and savoury, be sure to check out Clara's take on the classic fairy tale. You won't be disappointed, but you might just get lost in the magic of it all. Thank you.